And hello, it's Kristen Garth, and I am a little bit intoxicated tonight. It's Friday, and I got behind on doing this because of all the complications of real life post, um, you know, everything going on in the world, and post, well, in the mix of me getting my house fixed, so it's, it's just been a lot plus my computer broke this week and went to the shop for two days so that was um not expected and I was going to do one earlier in the week but you know just one of those times when nothing works out like you think but I'm here and I'm excited because um when I don't do one for a while I get like itching to do one you know like it just I'm like antsy to do it and um that's how I feel tonight and I think it's going to be a good one because this episode is called Barbies with Dirty Faces and it's um, kind of some poems that I've been um, working on and just some old themes that I have that I've just been, um, you know, curating together because, I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I think dirtiness is um, a comp more complicated thing than what is, um, you know, what that word connotes immediately, you know, it's, it's not always just obscene, although, like, I certainly have some poems um, in this little grouping of poems so far that are obscene <laughs> in, in the best of ways, I hope, I hope, I aspire that they are, but there are some that are just also, too, about being marked and um, the picture that goes along with this podcast um, is a Barbie doll that I was thinking people are like, oh, you um, dirtied up her face. And actually, that's a Barbie doll I've had for a long time, and it's one that I use in pictures to represent myself because she's got darker hair. Um, and and it, it was actually a Dorothy doll. <laughs> and I, when I was a stripper, I used to dress as Dorothy sometimes. So, um I have a connection to that Barbie doll, and she represents the dollhouse architect, but she also um, is has been through some things, like, in real life. I mean, I, I, I lived through an arson. I lived, um, you know, where I had some dolls that survived that, and I had, um, that just had permanent little, um, you know, they were okay, except maybe they had, like, a little mark on their face or something like that, and she's one of those dolls. So... Um, anyway, in some pictures, I used her in a picture for, um, the ashtray room or feature of the dollhouse in my poetry journal, but I usually will turn her to the side of her face where the mark doesn't show, and, um, but I, I feel such a connection to her more that, that she's a Barbie that has a scar because I feel like, you know, um, like a Barbie without a scar, I don't relate to as much. It's aspirational to me, and I, I collect them for that reason, but I don't relate to it as much. But a Barbie with a scar, that I can relate to. So, <laughs> anyway, so it was good for me to write a poem about a relatable Barbie to me, and um, makes me feel better, you know, having the life experience that I have, you know, to not think that you're 
too damaged, you know, to still be aspirational to someone. And so, anyway, this is Barbies with Dirty Faces. I have Barbies with cheeks, arson turned black. A Hello Kitty bride I found in my backpack. <laughs> White fur, hygienic, wash cycle, brought back after a flood. I just cannot discard the decapitated doll, an ex-boyfriend destroyed because a former one saw, the child inside me who needed a friend, plastic grandchild from ex-mother-in-law. Everyone leaves me except the pretend. And, um, you know, that poem is not a sonnet. I write mostly sonnets, but um, sometimes, like, this one just hit me, and I just did that line I didn't want it to be a middle line everyone leaves me except to pretend it felt so you know genuine of my life because I just do feel like I'm a person that you know um I've you know had to you know had a lot of loss and um I have a lot of loneliness but then also I'm a person I don't have a lot of boredom and I have learned as I've aged <laughs> to um, embrace, you know, um, the imaginary life, you know, and the um, imagination, uh, because I've always had a vivid <laughs> imagination, and it's helped me, you know, as a writer, but it's also helped me as a human, you know, to um, move on from what I feel like is, you know, um, to you know, like, circumstances that, you know, you just don't, you, you can't bear to be inside, even when I was a child, but, like, then, you know, you make your own imaginary world, and, you know, it's, I think sometimes you can get very separated, you know, from the, quote, real world, you know, <laughs> in a way that maybe some people think it's too much, and sometimes maybe it is too much, but at the same time, I've learned later in my life to like, you know, more give value to that world and um, to the world inside me, the internal side, because um, I think I just took it, you know, took it for granted for a long time because it was just, um, you know, I, I thought, oh, it's so sad, you know, I don't have all these people, but some of the people that have all the people around them in the world are the loneliest people, I feel like, and it doesn't come from a, you know, that can come from a desperate place, too, and well, the most important thing, I think, is, like, to not feel in a desperate place, you know, to feel at peace with your life, and um, I definitely have made a ton of progress with that, because for a long time, I did not have peace in my life, and Anyway, that is kind of what that poem's about. Like, and everybody thinks it's very sad, and it is sad, but it also, there is a sense of, you know, like, truth and honesty and peace about it, too, that, you know, I, I feel strongly in it. Um, I definitely feel much more in my life of late, so, um... I'm going to read you another poem, and this is going to go in a completely different direction, because this poem 
is more of the dirty kind of poem that is truly dirty and um, obscene, maybe a little bit, but you know, I, I hope in the best of the ways, you know, and I'm a complicated person, and <laughs> this, here, here's a dirty part of that, and it's called Dirty. You want me dirty, as you see, the out to match the in of me. I tell you all the filth inside, each evil deed and doubt, each cock I ride. My baby face they fall for fast, those other ones who never last. They wouldn't do the things you do to hold my cheek beneath their shoe. They'd be aghast to watch me crawl, deride your cruel control. They don't know me at all. They buy the lie of how I look, a princess face, a cry mistook. Don't talk to me, don't ask me why. I cannot breathe at times and want to die. You see in me all the others I've hurt. You're not afraid to put me in the dirt. And that poem, you know, I wrote a long time ago when I was heavily into, you know, BDSM. And I um, was doing a lot of that um, to relieve a lot of, you know, anxiety and issues I had from really child abuse. And so, you know, I, I had a lot of um, repressed emotions that I didn't feel safe letting out. But in situations where I was, like, pushed hard physically, um, you know, it felt okay to then, um, like, rage at someone <laughs> who was almost like a fight. Like, you know, or, or when people want to, um, you know, break a whole bunch of, like, you know, old appliances or things around their house, you know, and they're like, just want to, you know, you find an acceptable way where it's okay to be... Um, violent with rules and with like protection you know and I felt like I guess because I played kind of heavy things where people were you know allowed to be violent to me that it was okay if I kind of raged back you know some and um I mean you know I'm not saying it was always you know the best situations and I definitely had dark stories that came from those experiences itself and that I wrote about that in my book The Meadow but I also um I was in counseling during this time and I had a very good um counselor who I was very lucky I first went to I was in you know went to my college and the counseling center there and first went to this woman who I think she transferred me it was um she told me at the time, I figured out later, because I think it maybe was kind of complicated, who knows, I mean, I don't really know the rules, like, for a counselor, but I just know that um, one person that I played with locally was also going to the same counselor, and I didn't know that at the time in any way, <laughs> um, but, like, I just know that I was talking to him once, and said something about this, you know, oh, I was talking to Dr. So-and-so, and he was all very bent out of shape, like, what? You know, because he, this person was like a, you know, um, 
worked in like the local government here and he was like upset you know that perhaps um you know if I had he was like did you mention my name because he went to the same counselor and he did not want that counselor to know obviously you know I don't know what he was talking about but it certainly wasn't about the same sorts of things as myself and so he didn't want that person to know about them but you know anyway I ended up getting transferred and I don't know if it was because at the time I didn't know it was that the counselor told me that she thought this other person that was headed the whole counseling center um would be a better fit and I thought well that maybe I'm just that screwed up I need the highest person you know (laughs) like with the most education but I'm very glad I got changed and I don't know what the reasons were I don't even know if that's a conflict at all you know or if that had anything to do with it but I went um to this other counselor and he was very um he just kind of built up my self-esteem a lot is what I mostly feel like you know he didn't really um I think mostly he felt like I you know was trying to like relay to me like whether whatever I was doing whether this was BDSM or whatever that like obviously I was kind of picking bad partners <laughs> because I was getting into these bad situations at times and just trying to like make me feel better about myself so I pick better people you know and I'm very grateful for him but he really made me feel like and understand that like with the background that I had with um um, abuse and everything that, uh, it made sense that I was doing what I was doing. I was doing kind of a, um, what he would call a cathartic, you know, thing where it's like acting out. I was, you know, kind of acting out in a way what things that had happened to me, but in a, um, place where there were rules and I had more control, you know, and like, basically he was just trying to make, me become even more you know controlling about those situations so that it was more beneficial to me anyway it's a long story but just um that poem just brings up a lot of you know because it just reminds me of the desperation I felt to um rid myself of this burden of these emotions that I just could not express in any other venue really than you know through you know intense like BDSM so (laughs) it just brings me back so anyway I'm gonna read you guys another poem that I just wrote also about dirty things but it's um one about stripping and a nightmare that I had I have still have it's like you know that recurring nightmare like you you know you have a certain recurring nightmares that you have over and over that maybe have no logical sense anymore they don't even make sense like I used to have one also about being in high school and I'm going around and I've forgotten all my classes and what time they are and I'm like sure I'm gonna fail out of school and I get so stressed in these dreams that I'll like wake up and I'll be in a sweat thinking I'm not gonna graduate high school and it's like uh yeah you graduated like you know over 20 years ago you know what I mean like you're not you're okay you know but like it's so real in the moment well I also have a dream like that that's about stripping and um that is about all the preparation because um one thing you probably like you know 
um, strippers are very good. I think maybe kind of like I watched that show, um, The Flight Attendant, um, recently on HBO, and they were showing how good of packers, you know, flight attendants are. You know, they um, get all their um, things together to go on these, you know, got to be ready in a moment's notice to go fly across the world, and they, you know, manage to get everything they need in, like, one little pole case. Well, that's very similar <laughs> to how strippers are, which is kind of funny if you think about it, because their whole, if for a stripper, their whole job is taking their clothes off, but there's a lot of illusion and a lot of um, preparation that goes into being naked, I guess, or where I lived, it wasn't completely naked. You wore um, G-strings, but you didn't... Um, ever, I mean, you were topless, you know, and, like, I mostly wore, like, this tiny little skirt, you know, I, a lot of times I didn't even take that off, I mean, but you could, they were so tiny people, sometimes called them belts, you know, because you could see, like, if, and they were all, like, where you would turn around and they would, um, you know, spin, they all had, like, pleats and everything, and you were always, you could see the thong, you know what I'm saying, it's not, it wasn't much of an illusion, but it just made me feel like I had a costume, and that made it feel palatable to me, and part of that costume was always that I had to wear a lot of white sock, knee socks, I mean, I had dark knee socks too, and that's a lot more practical, but honestly as far as money you know like when you wanted to go in there and you didn't have a customer coming in that was just coming to see you and it, they you know they'd be happy with whatever color socks you had on if I was coming in on like a Friday night where I didn't have someone coming in and I was just gonna have to make money off the crowd I would always go out in you know white shoes white socks a plaid skirt you know, in this tiny little sweater that I had that was like crocheted and it just fit around my breast like perfectly. And I just, I mean, I could walk, like, uh, I would just know if I walked from out of the dressing room, I would not make it to the bar before I would be doing table dances because I'd get called over like immediately. And so, you know, that was everything in stripping is about that, but, like making yourself feel confident. Because you have to be, like, a hustler, you know? And you have to be, um, like, ha have a confidence that I don't always <laughs> really have in real life. But you kind of play this character. And so, you know, you don't, you have these little good, kind of like, I also think of, like, baseball and things. And they say, like, good luck, things that you wear, and for sure my socks, you know? And so, also being a Capricorn and wanting to always prepare for everything, I would never show up for work with less than, like, you know, I mean, I mean, the minimum I would show up would be half a dozen pairs of white socks, but more like, you know, 10 pairs of white socks, because, um, you know, anything could happen, number one, I mean, you would have people there, you know, you have a bunch of girls getting ready in the back, stuffed in, like, there's, it was just a long skinny dressing room you have people that would steal from you you have people that would um spill things you know <laughs> and then you're like screwed i mean you, you live out of your one pull bag that you have up on the counter and you're like getting ready and you know you bring a bunch of thongs and a bunch of costumes because the stage at the strip club was very dirty like and i mean i worked at a I did not work at like a dive strip club. I worked at where I lived, the most, you know, 
expensive strip club you could go to. So it was, they would clean it all the time, like, you know, at the beginning of the shift and at the end of the night. But it's just the way, you know, all those, um, I guess it's just, I, you know, I can't even explain it. I know it was a light up stage and it would be lit from underneath and it would look completely white and clean. But anything you hit to it that was white would look dirty after. You'd get off and you'd have like a big black, you know, mark on your socks. And you like tried very hard to like be on the stage but not like have your, you know, cause I, like a knee sock make contact, which is impossible, you know. So I would always have to change my socks after every um, main stage show. And also you have to dance on the backstage. Now if I had a customer there, that was the best thing because if you had somebody buying you champagne, you didn't have to dance on the main stage. And I definitely always tried to go with that option because, it, you know, um, like if I could sit with one person and talk to them and be bought champagne and just do table dances, you don't have to dance, you don't have to dirty yourself on the main stage. But if you did not, you know, whatever. So you had to be prepared because depending on how many girls you had, most of the time we didn't go up on the main stage more than, you know, tops like four times a night. But if you, because um, we would usually have a lot of girls, you know, we always had people coming from out of town, um, you know, it just change all the time, and I only, I worked on the weekends, so that was a popular, you know, time, it, but if you, um, for whatever reason, if there weren't a lot of girls, you went up a lot, and you also had to dance on the backstage, and those were dirty too, so, anyway, I'm going to read this poem that I kind of wrote about, you know, like I said, this nightmare of being not prepared, and that <laughs> in the stripper world, that I still have, and it kills me, like, it, I'll, it, I'll be just as anxious as my high school nightmare about this, you know, and it's, this poem is called Dirty Socks, and it's coming out in, um, Sledgehammer Lit that just opened, and looks like a really cool magazine, so it hasn't come out yet, but y'all can't, y'all be able to read it in there. I still have nightmares of stripping where I am unprepared. It's never nudity, that makes me scared. It is the piled white knee socks on my comforter at home. Realize the mistake as I hear on the microphone. Roll call, 10 minutes. Night shift is about to begin. Cotton candy body spray, baby lotioned skin. Then I reach into my opened pull case to extract a sole pair that will be my disgrace. Soiled later tonight on the main stage, debased by some customer who feels assuaged, middle-aged, deprived of his money, that my, filth of my filthy occupation has marked me. Not a thing in real life. I'd allow him to see. And, you know, that poem, I felt like it was a good one where I wrote about how, you know, again, so much of, like, the 
control things that you do to do a job like stripping where in a sense you know like some people I you know that aren't educated about it or you know maybe that even are in some ways but just look down at people for horrible reasons but um might look and say you know oh like you know these women you know let men you know degrade them or whatever but you know all strippers that I knew had um little kind of games they played with themselves you know that uh, and rules they made um they would not you know like I can't do it like this and I definitely had a long list of those I never I did not like to do it with my hair down I did not like to do it as myself you know I, I had this persona of the schoolgirl, which is a lot myself but it, you know I, I didn't um you know I always wore long knee socks you know I always wore the little skirt you know and most people I worked with just wore like bikinis and evening gowns stuff like that they more like what you would think I was like the at my club I was the schoolgirl, you know and I kind of when I started there they didn't have one of those and I was always different and there was pressure sometimes to not be different and to be like the other girls and I kind of just had to make it clear like I won't do the job that way because you know I this is my limit you know this is my this is how it's acceptable to me and so you know I just you know like I felt like that was a good poem where I expressed that where it was like what bothered me and what like I, I never wanted to be degraded in there and I was degraded I'm not you know definitely happened and actually the very last night that I worked you know where I, I um uh, after five years and a guy you know grabbed me by my sweater and ripped it and you know was very violent you know and it scared me a lot and it felt untenable it felt like I cannot continue with this and um, because this is like the worst this is the thing that I always feared would happen and it hadn't happened because I worked at a very safe club and it was stopped but it still felt like well this has gone too far you know what I mean like even in a safe club someone can you know, there's a few seconds before the huge bouncer can, you know, get to where you are. And, you know, I, I will never forget how helpless and how scary that felt, you know, to be like lifted up by a person and shaken, you know, um, because, you know, he felt like he lost control. And um, I just, it was interesting it was you know a good experience that's why I like to write about these things about what um the kind of power struggles of this whole environment and you know what made it felt you know dirty and what made it felt good and I wrote another poem I'm not going to read it today but um it's going to be coming out soon in um what magazine did that one come out oh in um the daily drunk and it's after Poison and um, Langston Hughes. And it's um, about um, kind of why one of the things that I wanted to go into stripping because, like, I wanted to be a cheerleader and I wasn't allowed to be because where I lived, I mean, the cheerleaders were the most, you know, like, beloved. I mean, you know, they were state champions in my school. The cheerleaders were more popular than the height or more successful than the football team. 
but they also, um, you know, were very provocative, and, like, the, my freshman year, they, like, tried out to the song, Talk Dirty to Me, and my mom, you know, like, talked about that at the dinner table and knew, oh, well, there goes, I'm not going to be trying out, you know, because my parents were, like, very fundamentalist, and there's no way that was going to happen, but, um, it, I'm just saying that I got a lot of things out of stripping that were not, you know, obscene or not dirty. They were like, uh, as I say in that poem, that's why I say it's after Links and Hughes, they were like a dream deferred. You know, they were like, you know, that you, uh, you know, I got to be a cheerleader <laughs> for five years. And um, when, when most people like that would be behind you, you know, and, and I know it's not a big deal, like, oh, to be a cheerleader. But to me, that was very fulfilling. You know, a part about that job is I got to um, do something that you think, passed you by in childhood and I had more cheerleading costumes of different colors and you know anybody that like you know I knew in high school and so anyway um this has been a very fun episode and I hope I haven't been too drunk (laughs) but I did have a little fun tonight and I'm really glad to get back on the podcast and thank you guys for listening and for reading my poems and if you're interested in my patreon um, it, I have been posting more stuff there and I'm, I'm, um, kind of, you know, some kind of secret project things are there, but, um, I, uh, it's, uh, my Patreon is, you know, patreon.com slash Kristen Garth. And you can also check me out on Instagram, Kristen Garth, or on my website, kristengarth.com. But for now, I am going to go take a hot bath. Which I need because this has all been a little dirty. <laughs> so, um, I am going to say goodnight and see you next time on Kristen Whisper Sonnets.